Hello, and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. I'm Heather with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, and I am so glad that you're joining me here today. It's been a little while since I posted an episode, and I've got some updates of things that are going on around the farm. So let's start out with that first of all. So some things that are happening around the farm. We purchased our first piece of really large farm equipment. We have now um, got a, a lovely new member of the family and her name is Charlotte. And Charlotte is a 1950 Ford 8N tractor. She is absolutely beautiful and has done amazing things for us already. Rest assured, we are still a no-till farm, however, Both of us have some health challenges, as we've talked about in prior episodes, and frankly, hauling around heavy, uh, large loads full of mulch and gravel and compost and mushroom compost and all the things has been made tremendously easier for us with having the giant tractor. So we now have a big tractor, and that's really exciting. And just to give you guys a funny, remember, we live in a big city. We live in in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, we live in town. We don't live in the outskirts. We don't live in the country. We live smack dab in the middle of town. So the day we brought her home, um, we were unloading. And I promise you, we got quite a few funny looks that day as we were driving a giant tractor down our bustling street right beside the highway. But even funnier yet is a couple days later when Bob had to take her down and get gas and he drove the tractor down the street in the city and went to get gas at the gas station. In fact, the folks in the gas station were so amused they came out to take pictures with them because they had the same tractor when they were farming um, in their, well, they came from India and they were using these big tractors when they farmed in India. So they thought it was hilarious that they're in the middle of the city and here's this guy in a cowboy hat (laughs) rolling up on a tractor in the middle of an enormous street fair that was going on in our neighborhood so it was quite comical but charlotte is a new member of the family her name is charlotte because her previous owners had named her after the woman they got her from we're the third owner of charlotte and charlotte was the owner um, that that brought her home the day she was first put to use. And so we've kept that name. And so when you hear me talking about Charlotte, I'm referring to my tractor. I really say my tractor, but it's Bob's tractor. Let's let's be honest here. (laughs) It was like a kid in a candy store when we brought her home. Um, Since then, we have um, added a a special kind of trailer for the back of Charlotte. She goes on, or it goes on the back of the uh, three-point on the back of the tractor. And it is a special made, one-of-a-kind tractor bed, I guess you could call it. It's like a truck bed, but for the tractor, it's kind of cool. It's a -a one-of-a-kind. It was a proof-of-concept design, and it is designed with a flap that drops down and with the hydraulics on her. It turns it into a little bit of a dump bed, which is pretty cool. So we have that, and then we also ended up getting a grader, which is essentially a flat blade that you can use for plowing snow, or in our case, you can use it for pushing around gravel Uh, because we've put gravel around our fire pit area so that we don't catch our grass on fire. And so that made moving the gravel around tremendously easier. So I know it uses fossil fuels and in in essence, it kind of is something that you would think is against my permaculture principles, but it's really not. It is just a tool in our cabinet and we're not using it to till the land. We're not using it for those kind of things. We're simply using it to move things that our bodies just say nope to. So that was a big, a big change on the farm. Um, We have 
included so many mushrooms into our into our lifestyle now because all of the mushroom compost that we've been spreading around that I've talked about has now begun to really take hold and when we get a nice heavy rain and then a little bit of a cloudy day I wake up the next morning and my yard is covered in delicious gourmet mushrooms. Now you still have to be careful and you still need to make sure that you know what you're harvesting is indeed what you think it is. Um, so it's really important, especially with mushrooms or really anything you're eating, to I make sure you're identifying it properly. But in our case, we are well aware of what's out there because the soil was so dead before. There really was nothing out there. Um, also, the types of mushrooms that we have planted are really easily identifiable. Currently, we have the most um, are our oyster mushrooms, and we have a couple of different types of oyster mushrooms, but primarily we have um, some oyster mushrooms growing out there and um, a lot of Italians. Uh, we also have some chestnut mushrooms and lion's mane, and we have started setting those up into kind of colonies or grow zones for our mycelium. So we're putting the oyster mushrooms over the largest portions of our yard because they really take off and take over and go to town and do their job really well and efficiently. The oyster mushrooms are super, super, super easy to grow. The chestnuts are a little bit more challenging. They're a little bit more finicky, um, but we've got those planted in a different area that we have not inoculated with the oyster mushrooms. And the same with the lion's mane. The lion's mane are the most delicate ones we've got currently planted. And when I say they're delicate, I really don't mean that they're super, super fragile. I just mean that they need a little bit more TLC uh, to, to really flourish in their, their best possible way. So we've really taken off with that. We have began prepping our beds and our homestead for the fall and winter seasons. So we have harvested all of our radish seeds that we had let, our radish seed pods rather. Um, this year we harvested a small amount of our radishes and then we let a very large portion of our radish harvest um, go to seed on purpose. We harvested quite a few of the seed pods and ate those. They are absolutely delicious. If you've never tried a radish seed pod, I strongly encourage you to let a couple of your radishes go to seed. They will shoot up great big, super tall um, branches and foliage. They'll put off some really pretty little white flowers or purple or pink sometimes that the pollinators really love. And then they'll, they'll put out these little seed pods. Now the seed pods kind of look like tiny green beans, they have the texture more of like a sugar snap pea, but they're not, they don't have the flavor of a sugar snap pea. They are indeed a little sweet, but they have a tiny hint of a radish flavor afterwards. You can eat them raw, which I did quite a bit, and you can also pickle them, which you're going to learn um, as you listen to the show over time that I am a huge fan of pickles. We are quite the pickle connoisseurs in our household, and I do a lot of pickling so I, I definitely uh, will be pickling some more radish seed pods next year. Um, and by next year, really, I mean in a couple of weeks because I've already got my uh, next batch of radishes going in. Uh, but of the radishes, it's pretty cool. I took a single packet of radish seeds, which was about $4, and I planted all of them out. And I was able to harvest from the approximately 20 radishes that I grew in that area, I was able to harvest several pounds of radish seeds. So from the radish seed pods, you have to leave them on the vines until they're good and dry and crispy. And then you pick the pods off. And we found an easy way to do it 
was to just kind of crumble them in our hands over a colander into a bowl. And then every once in a while, just kind of shake it and the seeds would go through the holes in the colander. A little bit of the material from the pods went into, but not a lot. And then we would simply pick out the, the pieces of the broken pods from time to time, shake them to make sure I wasn't missing any seeds, and add those right into the compost bin because the hulls on those pods are absolutely compostable. So now I have a huge stash of radish seeds. And while I absolutely plan to cultivate some of those, you know, just for eating, which we'll get to in a little bit, I I'm also planting those in our new lot that we've been working on developing the soil for. You see, radishes are a great crop to use as a tiller crop. And the specific variety of radish that I used was an icicle variety. They are a deeper um, root. They don't sit right at the surface like a globe radish, the typical little round red and white radishes that you see in a grocery store. These are shaped more like a carrot. They're white. Um, they can be other colors, but I've only seen white um, out of ours. And they dig deep down into the soil as a nice thick taproot. And if you leave them rot in place, they add organic material and create divots or pockets in the soil. And it's a natural way for you to aerate the soil. If you harvest them, you still are leaving lovely little pock marks into the soil. So when you then go through and compost and mulch um, on top of that later, you've gotten that material a little bit deeper down into the soil and it makes it so that nutrition that you're feeding your soil can get down deeper into the layers of the soil. So it's a way for us to still maintain a no-till garden, but allow the, the soil below to really absorb all the nutrients and minerals and vitamins and wonderful things that we're putting into it. We spend a lot of time and effort on building up our soil because it really is the most important part of, of the garden aside from water and sunlight is that soil. Because if you don't have a good, strong, firm foundation like we talked about in the very beginning of this show, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So it's one of the things that I've done to really be sure that future crops um, are given the best opportunity that they can. Um, in addition to that, we have been collecting between six and 10 eggs every day from our laying hens. And unfortunately, that is one thing that happened this weekend is that we did lose one of our hens. Um, she was a beautiful bird. We loved her dearly. Unfortunately, we believe she had a stroke. There was no signs of injury, no indication of illness. There, were, there was nothing that we could have seen to prevent or predict her demise. Um, she was running around in the garden. We let them free range in the garden during the day when we're out there to protect them. And she was happy and being normal. And a few hours later, we went in to um, collect eggs because some of our girls like to lay in the middle of the afternoon. Um, so we collect a couple times during the day when it's really hot out. And when I went to collect the eggs, she was in the nesting box and had passed. So we were pretty sad um, because this is our first hen that we've lost. But we know there will be more, and that's part of farming is, is loss. And it's important for me to talk about not only successes and things that are going great on our farm, but to tell you some of the things that maybe aren't going so great, or in this case, some, some of the sad things that have happened too. Because it's all part of being a farmer. You have to deal with the bad things in addition to the good things. So bear in mind, if you're listening to a show or watching a show and you're only hearing all of the good things, 
I don't want you to take away from that that you're a failure or that you're doing anything wrong. Because I promise you there are things that the people you are looking up to are not doing so great either. Um, Myself, for example, this year, I did a terrible job at making sure that the garden was getting weeded. Now, we put down cardboard and we have done the back to Eden method when we initially started our garden. So there's not a ton of weed pressure typically. However, with our travel schedule, I was not able to get out there as much as I had in the past to pick out the little weeds when they first started to pop up. And therefore, they really took hold and just kind of went crazy. So a lot of my plants this year got choked out um, and starved out a little bit by some weed competition. Um, And I say weed, but I use that term very lightly. Um, I had a lot of plantain that was growing in there, and I don't really dislike that because I harvest and use plantain quite frequently. I had some dandelions in there, but not a lot because the soil isn't super compacted. But I did indeed have some because dandelion seed travels by wind, and when they make their wind there and then there's some moisture added and some sunlight, you're bound to get germination, and that's what had happened. But again, I'm not sad about it because I harvested the dandelion leaves and threw them in our salads. So it wasn't really a crisis. It just was something that was different this year. And, you know, my garden does not look like something you'd see in Better Homes and Gardens magazine or anything like that. My garden looks like quite a mess, but I did get a great harvest out of it last year. Um, So that's just or this year. So that's just me being really honest um, about what's going on in our garden. But today's episode is all about September. Um, So September is a really exciting time. First of all, it's Bob's birthday month. Um, So we celebrated that this weekend and had a ton of friends and family over to enjoy some festivities. And now that we're through all of that, it's time to get into our fall planting schedule. And I am beyond excited. Now, there are some things that you when I'm talking about these, that you can start earlier and plant outside now, but with our travel schedule, that just wasn't a possibility this year. So I'm going to start out by saying that really any member of the Brassica family is a good candidate for planting this time of year in zone 6A. It's just that I did not get a chance to start them as seeds indoors like I would have liked. And so if I were to try to start them as a seed outdoors right now, it wouldn't go so well because the temperatures are still really warm during the day and brassicas prefer a cooler climate. That's why they do so great in the spring and in the fall is those cooler days and those cooler nights. Now, There is an exception to this rule, and I'll get to him later, but um, for the most part, if you have brassicas and you started them indoors, those are things like kohlrabi and kale and um, broccoli, cauliflower, those things, um, you you can get those in the ground now. But the things I'm talking about are all things that you can put in the ground right now from seed and get a harvest either now or in the spring. So we talked about radishes already, and radishes are one of my absolute favorite crops to grow. First of all, they're super easy. It's it's really, really hard to not get germination with radishes, to be quite honest. Um, 
I broadcast spray seed them. I don't uh, go through and carefully space them. Some people would say that is an absolute travesty. Myself, I find the chaos a little bit enjoyable. It's like a scavenger hunt when they all start popping up. Is it a weed? Is it a radish? We got to wait a little bit and see. So it's really fun. Um, but radishes are a great thing to add to your September garden in zone 6A because radishes are ready to harvest in as little as 25 days. Now, I have found personally that it takes a little bit closer to 35 days for us to have harvestable radish. And, um, you know, you may adjust that a little forward or backward based on your zone and your growing conditions. Um, all of the plants that I'm talking about are very specific to my zone 6A garden. But if you are in a cooler climate, then your growing season can be extended with each layer of protection you provide the soil. So if you're like in my area, my first frost date is around the middle of October. If I wanted to pump that back by two weeks, I could put a row cover over them and I'd have two more weeks that the soil temperature would be protected by adding that row cover. Now, if I put a row cover on and then I put a greenhouse over that, I could push it back another two weeks because that's another layer of protection. So essentially, by putting a row cover on it and a greenhouse over top of it or a cloche, which is a small, tiny individual greenhouse for just a small section of the ground, I can extend my season almost an entire month. So bear in mind that's the case. And if you're in a warmer climate, then you have plenty of time potentially to start some brassicas if you're able to grow brassicas in your area. Another thing that we'll be planting in our Zone 6A garden is going to be greens, specifically lettuce and spinach and kale. Um, I'm probably going to do a little bit more Swiss chard as well. I love my Swiss chard. We add that to stir fries and soups. I chop it up in some salads. It's delicious and I can never have enough lettuce. We eat a lot of salads in our household and even when we're not eating salads, I put lettuce on sandwiches and all kinds of things. We can do a tuna salad and roll it up in a lettuce leaf instead of on bread. It's, it's a great, great crop. And again, it does not take that long to be harvestable, especially if you're like me and you enjoy the tender young leaves. And things like lettuce and spinach can be cut and come again. So you can trim a few leaves off and use those for your salad if you, if you plant enough of them. And then in a couple of days, you can harvest some other leaves and the ones you've already clipped off will have started to grow new leaves. So it's a way for you to have, um, you know, some succession planting, if you will. In fact, with lettuce and, and all of these greens that I'm talking about, the greens, you can probably get three or four more plantings in and still be able to harvest if you stick to the tender young shoots. Um, carrots. So carrots do not like the heat. So if you are planting carrots this time of year, I recommend um, planting them and getting the soil nice and moist underneath them and then scattering with a very thin layer of soil on top and then cover them with a board. Um, leave them covered for about a week and then you can lift the board up and peek underneath to see if you have any little green sprouts coming up. And if so, you can take the board off. If you do not see any little green sprouts coming up quite yet, or you've only got one or two, leave the board for a couple more days and let some more of the carrots pop through the soil. Once you start to see a nice little row of your carrots sprouting up, that board is no longer needed. But what the board does is the board 
kind of tricks the, the seeds to germinate. So it creates a cool and moist environment, which is exactly what carrots want in order to germinate their seeds. But once they've germinated, they don't mind the sunshine at all. Now, they do better in cooler temps. In fact, carrots actually, to me, have the best flavor when they've been uh, kissed by frost, as they call it. Um, so last year, we actually were eating carrots that I harvested on New Year's Day. I went out to the garden, and some of the carrots that I had sown in the fall um, were still looking great, leafy and green, and I went right out to the garden, and I dug a few carrots up, brought them in the house, and cooked them up, and we had carrots on New Year's Day, fresh from the soil in my garden. I've seen carrots that have survived the winter, um, and I was able to harvest them into March, and they were carrots that I had sown this time of year last year. So it just depends on the variety. Um, I definitely recommend a, a larger variety. I don't recommend some of your tiny carrot varieties because they just don't fare quite as well in the cold temps because we do get some pretty darn frigid weather in the winter. And when we have those super negative 20 degree weather days, it can really make that soil rock hard and turn your carrots to mush. But if your soil is not getting that cold, then you may be able to just leave them in the ground until you're ready to eat them. Um, now, if your carrots have gone to flower, they're going to be really tough and woody, and they are a biennial, which means they will not flower the first year and produce seed. But if you plant them now and they grow, and then you leave them in the ground, come next fall, there's a really good chance you're going to have some of them flower and produce seed. This is a great opportunity for you to do some seed savings. So I encourage you to plant some carrots now, let them go and see if you can't get some carrot seeds, which helps again as a money saving tip because you're saving seed from a produce that you were already going to be using. Turnips are great right now. Um, again, they're kind of like carrots. When they've been frost kissed, they taste a little bit sweeter as opposed to heat. Um, turnips are something you want to harvest when they're kind of small. Um, I learned that the hard way. When you let a turnip get really large, if it gets much bigger than the size of your fist or a, a billiards cue, then they start getting spicier and spicier. They, the flesh gets a little bit tougher and eventually they get a very woody texture. They're not that nice, crisp, tender turnip flavor. Um, but if you plant them now, you definitely should be able to harvest them um, this fall. Green beans. Green beans grow really quick. Um, specifically, I'm talking about bush beans. Um, and the reason I'm talking about bush beans are because in my experience, pole beans, when you plant them at this time of year, the cooler temps do tend to affect them a little more because they're climbing up a trellis of some sort, um, whatever you've got them trellising on. And that means that a lot more air can get to them. And so they're more prone to getting nipped by frost. It's a lot easier to cover bush beans than it is to cover an entire trellis system to protect your tender, um, you know, your tender plants. But I was harvesting green beans last year at Thanksgiving time that were still on my plants, um, still going strong. In fact, I still had some that were flowering on Christmas Day. I had green bean plants out there that had little flowers on them. Now, those particular ones did not produce fruit, but they were still flowering, so they were going strong. Now is a good time to plant some onion sets. Uh, most people think about putting those in in the spring, and I do that as well. 
But if you put onion sets in the ground now, they're going to start establishing a root system and they're going to start kind of growing a little bit before they get um, killed off a little bit by the winter. But if you leave them go, they will pop back up in the spring when the soil gets warm enough for them to do so. And they will grow really quickly and you'll be able to harvest them a little earlier than your spring planted onions. Um, now, Egyptian walking onions, or just walking onions, some call them, um, are, are fantastic to plant this time of year. It gets them established um, so that they can really start to develop that nice uh, root system. And next spring, when they pop up, they're going to produce your little bulbets much quicker because they've got a head start. Uh, cucumbers in my area, you can totally plant cucumbers. Now, I, I definitely have had much better luck with them when I have planted some starts as opposed to um, just planting seeds, but that does not mean that I won't be able to harvest cucumbers if I plant them now. In fact, my again, I told you I love pickles, so here's where my pickle plug comes in. If I plant a pickling cucumber now, they are meant to be small. They don't get a large size and they tend to produce fruit much quicker and the fruit matures much quicker because they're a smaller variety. There's not as much of a plant that you need to produce. This is my experience with them anyway. And so I am able to harvest a nice, tender, crisp cuke that I can pickle right away this fall. Squash. Now, squash is something, again, that is kind of hit or miss at this time of year. The great thing about planting squash this time of the year, um, depending on the variety, is that the pressure from squash bugs is going to start decreasing as the weather changes. The bad thing is that squash are very frost tender, um, or at least some varieties. I am actually going to be getting some zucchini started. And as crazy as that sounds, I will have zucchinis to harvest before the season is over. Again, that season can be extended if you've got some fruit that are really close to being ready or, or vegetable. And you can do that by row covers. And this year we'll be using some row covers and frost fleece to extend the season a smidge to see how well I can get these squash to do in a, a short period of time. Garlic. Now, this is the time of year that you want to get your garlic ordered if you're in 6A because all of the major carriers are going to sell out fairly quickly. Garlic is something that goes very quickly when you're ordering it from your favorite seed company. Um, you can absolutely use garlic that you purchased in the store. I definitely recommend that you get an organic non-GMO garlic, um, but you can totally get garlic from a grocery store and grow it out. The only problem with that is that my experience has personally been that when I do that, I find that I get much smaller um, success rate with that. I would venture to say that it, it very well is likely that they have had something put on them to hinder them from sprouting. That is often the case. Um, and so if you go with an organic non-GMO variety, that's less likely to be a culprit for you. Um, and as a, as a farm that does organic non-GMO food, we always try to do that. But if you are wanting to plant garlic, um, now is the time to get that ordered. So that's more of a, an order it now, not so much a plant it now. Plant it is going to be more at the end of October, mid to end of October. Um, but now's the time. Um, let's see. Potatoes. You can actually plant potatoes this time of year. Now you will not get a harvest, um, by the end of the season 
unless you're looking for fingerling potatoes. You can probably get some fingerling potatoes, but what will happen is you're going to get some plants that are establishing themselves. They're going to die back a little bit over the winter, and then come spring, they're going to take off. So I recommend looking into some seed potatoes this time of year and get them well buried deep in the soil and cover them with a nice thick layer of mulch, or in our case, we use straw. Um, mushrooms. I talk about mushrooms quite a lot on my show because I am obsessed with fungus. I love mushrooms. They are such a versatile thing. I don't even want to call it a plant because it's not a plant. It's not an animal. It's somewhere in between. But fungus is an absolute game changer for a homestead. At least it has been for us. And if you are considering um, adding some mushrooms to your homestead, now is a great time to get started on that. Um, in our case, like I said, we talked about the mushrooms that we grow on our farm. That's just a small sampling of the mushrooms that we grow on our farm. Um, you can absolutely order some of the at-home kits. Um, North Spore is a great company that sells um, some small grow-your-own mushroom kits. They are ready to roll. The substrate is already inoculated with the spores for the mushroom that is specific that you're wanting to grow. And it comes with very detailed instructions of exactly what to do to your um, substrate to get it ready to, to uh, flower for you or fruit, excuse me, fruit for you. Um, but in our case, we use inoculated mushroom compost. Um, so we get our spent mushroom blocks from a friend of ours who has a very large and thriving gourmet mushroom company. Um, it is a waste stream for them. And so once they have fruited their, their mushrooms once, they do not wait for them to give a second or third or fourth or fifth flush they are a little bit more unpredictable, so you don't really know how much, if any, you're going to get from an additional um, flush. So it is more economical for them to discard the blocks and start fresh than it is to try to get that block to produce again. Plus, it takes up a lot of space to hold on to them. And so instead of those spent mushroom blocks going into a landfill, this company is thinking very green and has partnered with us and we come and take all of their spent mushroom blocks to our home where we remove it from the um, plastic casings that they grow them in. They're like a bag. Um, and then we break them up and scatter them around the yard in areas that we're trying to get mushrooms inoculated. And if you do that now, it's the right climate to do that, especially going into fall where we tend to have in zone 6A, we tend to have a very damp and cool night. So you're more likely to get some flushes now. And come spring when we have all the rains that we tend to get in this area, they will come right back. And so it's a beautiful thing. It helps your soil quite a bit. And I just, I can't sing the praises of mushrooms enough. I will be getting uh, Mike from Guided by Mushrooms on the show soon. We're just working on getting our schedules aligned to be able to record an episode. But I cannot wait for you guys get to get to hear him. He is a wealth of knowledge. He is a mushroom expert. And they are an incredible company with some amazing, amazing products. So look him up if you uh, get the chance. Guided by Mushrooms. Um, you can follow him on Instagram. You can follow find them on Facebook. Tell them Heather from the Urban Permaculture Podcast sent you. Um, and this is not a sponsored post, by the way. That's just me sending mush love to my mushroom homies. Um, as for additional things you can plant this time of year, 
trees. Now, there is a saying that I was I have always grown up hearing, and that is that you never plant a tree in a month that doesn't have the letter R in it. So in the English language, that means in the month of May, June, July, and August, you don't plant trees. The main reason for that is it's really hot and really dry. And your success rate on transplanting a tree is way lower than if you wait till September through April, where the temperatures tend to be cooler and the moisture tends to be, um, you know, there's a lot more precipitation. And so the trees are really, really happy when you plant them in the fall, winter, and spring. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We actually talked about it today um, in the vehicle, in our car. We were on our way to um, to our next job, and we were discussing things. We're going to be adding some new fruit trees to our orchard, and we're pretty excited about that. So that's what's coming up next for us. Um, now, I say all these things about September and the wonderful things that are September, because, you know, a lot of people think that once August rolls around, the kids go back to school and you start seeing people out harvesting corn and you're starting to see the leaves turning colors and you think that the gardening season is over. Well, I am here to tell you the gardening season is 365 days of the year. I promise you there is something you can grow every single day of the year. You just have to know what items will grow and when. There are a ton of other things I'm sure that you could be growing. These are just some things that we grow on our farm in a zone 6a climate in September. Um, now stay tuned uh, to next week's episode. I have some really exciting information for you. Next week we're going to be talking about how to prepare your homestead for fall and winter. I say fall and winter because a lot of the things you're doing now are preparing for fall which then in turn prepares you for winter. So some of the things you're going to be hearing about are ways to protect your homestead. Some of them are going to be ways to protect your garden. And some of them are ways to protect and preserve your garden and your tools. Um, so stay tuned for that. I believe Bob is going to be a special guest on that particular episode where he's going to throw some insights into some things that you may want to be aware of to make sure that your fall and winter homestead preparation is in tip-top shape. Until then, I thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're not already following us on Facebook, find us at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. If you don't follow us on Instagram, find us at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. We're on Twitter at Hogs and Hens. And for now, that's the social media outlets that you'll be finding us on. But stay tuned because we have some fun things in store with maybe a little bit of video content coming soon. Have a great day, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in.